Is that awesome worship? Let's take a minute and just rest in God's presence and recognize He loves us. And He's jealous for us. And He is so happy that we have come here this morning to meet with Him. He has been waiting for you. Would you close your eyes again? And if you want, you can open your hands, turn them palms up just as a sign of your openness to God's presence and spirit. Let's just soak in his love this morning. God, we do thank you that you never leave us orphaned and alone. You come to us every day, every moment, inviting us to rest again in your presence, to recognize your love for us. God, we know that it is your love for us that ultimately changes and transforms us from the inside out. We come to you in worship again this morning, asking that you would continue to speak those words of intimacy, words of tenderness, words of mercy and grace that remind us that no matter what we've been through this week, no matter what we've experienced in our lives, No matter what mistakes we've made, God, we have a fresh start here this morning with you. Would you speak to us and encourage us again through your word? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Kurt, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be back with you this week. Uh, I and some of our other uh, family members were up at the uh, all-church campout last weekend at Cascades Camp, and we had a wonderful time. We had a couple of baptisms, and it was awesome to be able to baptize my own son, Lucas, and uh, our host student, Troy, from China. And we had so much time just to play and enjoy being together as a family and uh, it was just an awesome time to be away, but it's also good to be back together with the community and to gather as God's people this morning. We are in our series on shift, and we are being reminded that the Bible clearly calls followers of Jesus Christ to a lifelong journey of transformation, an ongoing shift in our lives that is motivated and accomplished not by our own strength, by our own wisdom, but by our own works, but by God's transforming love in each of us. That shift is the ongoing process that we call discipleship to Jesus, allowing God's story to become our story and finding that all of life has meaning and value and purpose in God's larger mission of love to this world. As we allow God to shift our hearts and our minds to see with his eyes, we discover that God continually wants us to allow him to shift our relationships with one another as we allow him to shift our relationship with him. God has revealed in his word that he wants to also use us for his kingdom and for his purposes, and that we find our purpose and value as we discover how we have been designed by him to be used for his glory. In order for this to happen in our lives, though, we also need to make some shifts in how we understand ourselves. Often, the the value of understanding God's love and his forgiveness in our lives is to help us to see that, that we are a forgiven people. And so that no matter where we come from, no matter what our history is, God can use you for his purposes. And we also understand that as we are called to be followers of Jesus and we are called to be a part of a faith community called the church, that God calls us to be on mission together. He has work for us to do. Have you ever been asked to do something and your response was, oh, I can't do that? 
Have you ever been invited to participate in a task or a particular project or go on a journey that you believed was impossible and you just said, no way, I, I'm not in, uh, in for that? See, that was really the story many times throughout history of God's people. As you go through the Bible and you look at what God called his people to do, it was often seemingly the impossible. And this is a story of the prophet named Isaiah who wrote a good portion of the Old Testament who lived in the 8th century before Christ. And Isaiah was called by God to lead his people and to serve as his prophet, his spokesperson, his mouthpiece to the nation of Israel who was in the midst of a very difficult and trying time. Back in that day, the Assyrian king Tiglath-Pileser, that's quite a handle, right? How would you like to be named Tiglath-Pileser? And not only that, he was Tiglath-Pileser III. So there were three of them. And he had just invaded Israel. He was the Assyrian king, and uh, his conquered lands included most of the known world at that time, which included the, the place where Isaiah and the people of Israel lived. And so they were experiencing a lot of political uncertainty. Who says that the Middle East has ever been at peace? Even inside of Israel, we can look and we can learn from the writings of Isaiah and other prophets that there was financial corruption and social injustice and a growing apathy toward the things of God and that they were creating internal problems within the nation of Israel. That doesn't sound familiar at all, does it? No, not at all. In addition, Isaiah, like each of us, had his own personal struggles and doubts and fears and anxieties about uh, his own limitations that led him to question whether God could use him and whether he could answer this call of God to be his spokesperson. And yet God was asking Isaiah to do the seemingly impossible, to share God's word with his people, to call the nation to repentance of their sins and their idolatry and the injustices that were going on in their culture. To risk his own life by publicly challenging the kings and the leaders and their authority and their leadership of the country. And to commit to standing in the gap for his people by constantly praying for them and by loving them regardless of the outcome. One of the passages that God gave Isaiah to share that I'd like to read with you this morning is Isaiah 57. And in there, Isaiah shares some of the words that God gave him in verses 14 to 16. And Isaiah says, and it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one said, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry, for then they would faint away because of me the very people I have created. You see, there's this idea that God wanted Isaiah to share with his people is that from the beginning, God had intentionally created them for a purpose, to love them and to use them to share his light and his love with the world. And in this passage, God invites Isaiah to call the people to live for him in all aspects of their life together. God encourages the people to not give up on their faith, even though they're in difficult and trying times. And despite all the challenges they were facing, he wanted them to continue to live as the people of God in the midst of a difficult and challenging culture and circumstances. 
But that meant building up the things that promoted God's kingdom while also removing the obstacles that were in the way of being able to have people discover what God's plan and purpose was for their lives. In order for Isaiah to be used by God to preach this message, he had to undergo a shift in his thinking. He had to undergo a shift in his understanding of himself in relationship to God so that he could be used by God to help them understand how God wanted them to experience a shift in their relationship with him as well. This morning I want to suggest there are two primary shifts that we see in the life of Isaiah and the people of Israel that we too can learn from and that we can help shape our thinking about our relationship with God individually and as a church moving forward. The first one is God wants us to shift our perspective of ourselves from being incapable to being fully capable of responding to God's call in our lives. From being incapable to being fully capable. One day after receiving an astounding vision from God and his glory in the temple, Isaiah experienced a shift in his own self-understanding. I want to look at Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. And it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, which scholars suggest was about 750 B.C., I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. What a a wild, amazing image of heaven he was given. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. After the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Can you see how there is a shift that happens in this short passage in Isaiah's perspective on himself and what he's capable of doing for God? As amazing as this vision was that he had, this this amazing, uh, almost dreamlike experience of the throne room of heaven with these angelic beings flying in the air and worshiping God and seeing God himself high and lifted up on his throne, rather than being in awe and wonder and joy, he falls in utter humility saying, what a wretch I am. You see, often we come to the Almighty God with with our own pride and our, our, our own thinking that we have it all together, not wanting to recognize that when we see the Lord God Almighty high and lifted up in His glory, it's first and foremost a humbling experience because we realize when we see His glory how far we are from the perfection that we know that we would desire in our lives. And so our experience of God comes first and foremost as a a humbling experience, reminding us of who we are, that the Almighty God who created us, who calls us to life, is the one whom we answer to and the one whom we live for 
And that leads us to recognize all of those broken cracks in our lives, in our personalities, in our relationships, and the ways that we are so far from what we could be in the ideal that God had designed. The the realization of who God really is can lead us to humility and ultimately to repentance. Because you see, God's desire is not to humiliate us. God doesn't want to just point a a judgmental finger at us and say, see how bad you are? See how awful you are? You need to work harder at doing better in your life. Because if you really want my love, if you really want to believe that you're worthy of me, you just need to be a better person. You need to be perfect in everything you do. Because if you don't, then everyone else is just going to see how awful you really are. That's not God's perspective. That's not God's desire for us. God's holiness, his glory leads us to our knees in humble humility, but the desire is that we experience the fire of his altar in worship, burning our lips, burning the sin and the brokenness out of our lives so that we can experience renewal. We can have our hearts revived Isaiah said, we can experience the call of God to be used by him even in the midst of our brokenness and our mistakes and our imperfections. That's why Isaiah responded by saying, woe to me for I am ruined. And then you see this shift where he says, who will go for me? Isaiah is the first one to put his hand up. Here I am, Lord, send me. It wasn't because of his arrogance or his overconfidence or because he thought he had it all together. It was because he recognized that that the least that he could do is simply say yes to the almighty God who had created him and designed him as he was and had forgiven him for all of his sins. See, he suddenly realized that his own broken standards of religiosity and faith, of, of his sense of justice and his experience of community could be upped by God's call in his life. While many of us really need to learn this humble posture before God, God's desire is always to move us from there to a place of understanding that God has made us fully capable of responding to his call to be more than we are today and to serve his kingdom well. See, God wants him and us to make a shift from focusing on our weaknesses and our sin to making room available in our lives for God's work, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. The message of the angel is what changed Isaiah's perspective. He shifted his view from relying on himself to relying on God's power and God's call in his life. God later had Isaiah remind the people of this as well as we read the words earlier in Isaiah 57. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly of spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Now, instead of wallowing in our guilt and being hindered by our weaknesses, God is removing those obstacles that prevent us from being able to respond in confidence that we are fully capable of doing good works for God's kingdom, even though none of us are perfect. What are some ways that humbly remembering God's forgiveness in your life might fuel you to serve him in new ways this week or in this season ahead? Some of you might not feel like you are capable of serving God's kingdom. You don't have a seminary degree. You're not a good public speaker. You don't know how to teach the Bible. 
Or I'm too young to to serve God in that way. I'm too old to serve God anymore. I've kind of put in my time and there's really not a lot left for me to do. I'm too far gone. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. You don't know that God would want to use me. I am just too busy in my life. I have so many things going on. I can't add one more thing, even if God called. But you see, what Isaiah wants us to see and understand is that God can use you just as you are. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how too, no matter how too busy you are. You can't be too busy to overpower God's ability to use you each moment of each day. All you have to do is shift your idea of how God can use you, and maybe you can discover a whole new path forward in your relationship with Him. I remember when I was a young man in my early 20s, our family went to a family camp, much like we did at the All Church Camp out at Cascades. And that time we were living in Central Valley, California, and we went to the Covenant Campground called Mission Springs. And that was the, the local campground there. And I was there with a bunch of people of all different ages. And I was at a kind of formative place in my relationship with God, and I was really seeking God, and I wanted Him to use me, and I wanted to understand what was His call for my life, and how did He want to work in me? And I remember sitting there in the middle of a big, open, kind of common area, grass area that had park benches around, and it was night. It was probably getting late, so a lot of families with kids were probably already in their rooms getting ready for bed. And I'm sitting there in the dark, and I'm just sitting with God, and I'm I'm kind of praying, and I feel prompted to pray to God. God, God, send me somebody who needs me. Send me somebody who needs me. I'm, I'm in the middle of an open field with nobody there. I mean, it's a camp and there's not people around. And I'm, I'm praying, God, send me somebody who needs me. Sure enough, over about 20 minutes later, a young teenage girl comes walking by. And she looks a little bit lost and forlorn. And, and I kind of say, hey, how's it going? Oh, Okay. And it turns out that she needed somebody to just listen. She was going through a hard time in her family. She was in a difficult circumstances. She had come to this camp because their family was going to worship God and celebrate how great it was to be Christians together. And she wasn't feeling it at all. And God was able to use me to be a voice of his presence and his power in her life in spite of her own brokenness. And I felt like God was able to use me in a way that I couldn't have expected or known. It's simple the ways that God can use us if we open ourselves to allow him to determine how that might be. You can pray for total strangers when you're riding on the train up to Seattle. You can be walking in the grocery store and, and notice somebody who looks like they're having a difficult time and you can just shoot up those prayers to God. God bless them. And they might not even ever know that you've been serving them in that way. There are so many ways that if we open ourselves to God's ability to use us, we might be able to find that we are usable and capable of so much more than we ever asked or imagined. Maybe you're in a season where God might be inviting you to shift, make a shift in your life that's bigger than that, that that is on a grander scale. And sometimes God invites us to do that too. Maybe you've been considering going back to school for a new degree that might take you on a new career trajectory. That could be a part of God's call to use you in a new way. 
Maybe some of you have never considered teaching a class here at the church on some area of life that, that you've learned a lot of skill and experience in, and you've almost kind of become a resident expert because of everything you've gone through. And that would be a, a great gift to give away to other people who might be going through the same thing, but you've never thought that, that you were a teacher or that you had anything to offer somebody in that way. Maybe you're really great at hospitality. You don't see yourself as a leader, but, but you love hosting people. And you could open your home to be a, a, a small group place where people can gather for discipleship and sharing life together. And you can offer your gifts of hospitality to create a welcome atmosphere and to, to have other people experience the goodness and the mercy and grace of God by, by creating a warm, welcoming place. Do you realize scholars suggest that hospitality is one of those things more than any others that allowed the spread of the gospel in that, in that early Roman world? People inviting others into their homes, sharing food together regardless of class or race or status in life was a powerful symbol of the mercy and grace of God for all people. Maybe you're a, a wonderful host and those gifts God could use in ways that you just never really thought about before. Maybe God is inviting you to see a need here at the church or in our community that nobody else is addressing. And because you see it, maybe you have some ideas of how God might want to use you to address those needs. See, if we begin to shift our idea that we are more capable of responding to God's call in our lives than we think, maybe God can plant some seeds of new ways that he might want to use us. The second shift that we see going on in Isaiah here is that we need to shift our perspective from thinking that we are expendable to thinking that we are invaluable. In our highly corporate world where uh, larger and mega is the new buzzword, our experience is more and more often that we are just a number. I mean, when we live on a planet with billions of people, it's really hard to not feel like that. Somehow our life is insignificant. Our life is not of any particular value. And you may be tempted or have been tempted to think, God doesn't actually need me at all. I'm just lucky that he's given me the chance to, to serve him in, in, in the ways I already have. Or, or God is the creator of the universe. What need does he have for me to participate in his kingdom? God doesn't need me to, in order to accomplish his will. That's just crazy. He's God. I think these kinds of underlying thoughts are all too common in the church. While we have these kinds of statements have some truth, of course God is God and, and he can do anything he wants apart from us. We also have to, have to recognize that the Bible clearly teaches that God created and designed us because he has particular work for us to do. That was part of how he designed his creation. Isaiah had to fight this attitude as well after his own experience of receiving forgiveness and hearing the voice that challenged his notion that he wasn't really needed by God. God comes with the call, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And the call of God to, to, to each of his children comes through the voice of Jesus. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you into fishers of people. You see, the call of God to be sent out, to go on mission, is a part of the reason why we were created in the first place. It was part of why he called the people of Israel to be a people set apart so that God could use them for his purposes and for his glory. 
God was calling Isaiah to be his spokesperson, and through his Holy Spirit, he continues to call each of us to respond to that missional call to be sent out as Jesus' disciples. The Bible indicates that God really means it when he tells us that he's created us for a larger purpose in this world. That's the perspective that Paul shares. The last passage I'd like to look at today is in Ephesians chapter 2. Love the passage in chapter 1 that Greg read for us earlier in worship. And Paul goes on from there in talking about how it is by grace you have been saved through faith. In verse 8 of chapter 2. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You you see a little tension in that passage? Not by works, but for good works. How can it not be by works, but for good works? Well, you see, that's the whole point, is that when we allow ourselves to think that the Christian life is all about our needing to work harder and do better in order to earn God's favor, in order to somehow be worthy, we miss the whole point. But when we understand that God's mercy and His grace and forgiveness allows us to humble ourselves before Him and to have our spirits and our hearts revived, then we are free to step out and do good works, not because we have to, but because God empowers us to make a difference in other people's lives. Then we don't take the credit. We can't boast about it. We can say, well, praise God, because He used me to bless you. It wasn't my doing. It was God working through me. And then our faith and our experience of relationship with God takes it up a whole notch or two or three or four because we realize that the God of the universe who designed and created us isn't just up there in heaven watching down on us, judging us for every mistake we make. He is actually in us, working through us, empowering us to be a blessing to other people. And when you are used by your creator for the purpose for which you were created, the response is joy and fulfillment and happiness in spite of whatever challenges life throws at us. Because we understand that the challenges of this life pale in comparison to the glory that we will experience when we experience the same resurrection life that Jesus has that is available to us now. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And it's that power, if we allow God to shift our perspective on how he can use us, that same power will flow through you in ways that you can't even imagine to be a blessing and a power in this world to shine the light of Christ to others around you. Whether it's your own children or your grandchildren or the person sitting next to you in the pew this morning or your friends at school or your co-workers at work, open yourself to how God might want to shift your perspective that you are not only fully capable, but you are valuable in God's mission of love into this world. There are things that God has for you to do that only you can do. No one else can do it because no one else has been created and designed the way you have. God wants you to discover the unique gifts and passions that he's put in you and to be able to use them with joy and excitement for his kingdom. I remember when I was a kid, I I wanted to be a scientist. That should be funny to most of you if you you know me, but but I, I, I had this chemistry set, 
right? And, and if you ever had a kid who, or, or, or you had a chemistry set as a kid, you have all these different chemicals on, in this, in this uh, you know, case, and you get to follow these recipes where you mix the chemicals and you, you stir them up and they have all these different reactions. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to be a, a chemist and a scientist. And, and, and that stuck with me actually in, all the way up until high school and, and through my freshman year until I finally got to my sophomore year of high school and I got to sign up for high school chemistry. And it was all math. <laughs> and I went, that's not what chemistry is. Chemistry is like mixing potions and fun things. And, and I was like, I don't want to be a scientist. But what I discovered is what I enjoyed was all that creative part of the mixing and the recipes. And I like cooking. <laughs> cooking is chemistry for real people. <laughs> right? Alton Brown's got it right. He's got all the science and the chemistry. And then you get to eat it at the end. What better part of that? But see, I discovered how God had uniquely shaped and wired me. And even though my perspective at first was that scientist was it, food and cooking and creativity was really more what it was. And over the course of life, God directs our path so that we find those places of service and things that we do with our lives that bring joy to ourselves and then to others. What are, the, what are the passions that God has given you? What are the hobbies that you love doing? Are you a golfer? Do you like cars? Do you love cooking? Do you like sewing? What are the things that you love doing? And, and is it possible that God might be able to use that to be a blessing to other people? Could that be a way that you can even share the good news of Jesus Christ through some activity that you share with other people? You know, there's got to be a hundred other people or more out there that like bicycling too, or that, that like going walking in the woods. I mean, there's all kinds of things that if we just simply said, you know what, I'm going to do what God has wired me to enjoy doing, and I'm going to invite other people to participate. You know what that's called? That's called ministry. It's called serving other people, providing an opportunity to love people, to share the good news of Jesus with them through your own example. And, and that's something that we call church. And it's not a program. It's not something that the senior pastor has thought up and now we have to get everybody involved to do it because everybody has to do the same thing. It's what you are uniquely designed and called to do. If you can allow God to shift your perspective on how he has prepared you to be his handiwork, his artwork, his masterpiece. He's uniquely shaped and crafted you for good works that he wants to do through you. Our mission means that we are committed to participate as God's people in his mission of love to the world. We don't even have to come up with the idea. God will give it to you. But if we're going to shift the way we see God using us, we need to stop seeing ourselves as insignificant in God's kingdom and see ourselves as invaluable in God's kingdom. God has uniquely gifted and invited me to be a vital part of his redemption of this world and this creation. Where might God be calling you to go in this season ahead? I invite each of us to think about it this week. As you go from here today and you're sitting over lunch with your family or you're you know, watching some preseason games or you're, you're out walking in the woods, ask God, what's one thing that maybe he would invite you to do for his kingdom 
this week or in this season ahead? What's one way that you could serve somebody else out of something you enjoy doing, something you're good at, something you have experience in? And, and seek God's direction in prayer. And be sensitive how God speaks to you during that time because it might be a, something as simple as, like I said, praying for a stranger on the train or in the grocery store. Or it might be something even bigger that God wants to put on your heart. And then the, the second challenge is I want you to choose a friend or a leader in a small group or in the church and share whatever God puts on your heart. And ask them to help you be accountable to following through on seeking how you can put that into practice in your life. I was on way, my way to church this morning and, and I felt like God put this song on my heart and as I was kind of prayerfully thinking about uh, what we were going to do this morning, I felt like God said, just, just share it with the congregation. So I don't know how good it's going to be. It's an old song from my childhood, but, but it goes something like this. I'm going to sing so God can use me, God can use me every day. I'm going to sing so God can use me, God please use me in your way. Can you guys try that with me? I'm going to sing so God can use me, God can use me every day. I'm going to sing so God can use me, God please use me in your way. Pray. I'm going to pray so God can use me. God can use me every day. I'm going to pray so. God can use me. God, please use me in your way. May we ask God to continue to remove all the obstacles in our hearts and in our minds, seeing ourselves as capable of responding to his mission. May we continue to be built up and to build up one another so that we can all be on this path of life with Jesus. And may we daily allow God to be the one who shifts our sense of how he can use each one of us. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you not only desire to use us, but you do use us. God, we ask that you would heal us from our misconceptions, that you would bless us so that we can be a blessing to others, and that as we as a church find our pathway forward, would you help us to see that each one of us is an invaluable part of your mission in this place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant Church is through our preschool ministry, Little Sprouts. Many, many children each you are coming to grow in Jesus and to learn more about him. And it's your prayers, it's your gifts, it's your time that help this rich, wonderful ministry thrive. Will the ushers please come forward to receive our gifts and our offerings?